VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Made Hoops podcast, featuring your hosts, Eric Hampford and Brian Flynn as they take you through everything there is to know on the grassroots basketball circuit, including a spotlight on all the emerging elite middle school basketball talent from coast to coast, including the big time made hoops events, highlighting tomorrow's college and NBA stars. Now it's time to lace them up and take the floor with made hoops. Welcome to episode four of the Made Hoops podcast. I am your host, Eric Hanford, National Director of Middle School Scouting, joined as always by our High School Director of Scouting, Brian Flynn. It is officially the holiday season. The Made Hoops staff as a whole isn't going to be back in action until January 3rd weekend when we head west to Los Angeles for session two of the West Coast Winter Circuit. Brian, I know this weekend you're hitting the road for wild, wonderful West Virginia to see some family. On the way, you're making a pit stop in my neck of the woods in Pennsylvania for some brunch. So what are you looking forward to with your trip and the holiday? Also, we've made a habit of opening our pods with some food talk, so let's talk brunch. Yeah, so we're heading down to West Virginia to spend time with my girlfriend's family. Uh, They're extremely nice, very hospitable They're just kind of people that you would expect to find in middle America, honestly. They're kind of the West Virginia stereotype, which, as a New Yorker, I kind of find really funny. And so does Jess. But as far as brunch food goes, uh, bacon, first and foremost, basically with anything. And then I just like to go as unhealthy as humanly possible. So that means French toast, pancakes, um, more bacon, really just anything that's going to take some time off my lifespan here. Uh, What do you feel like you really enjoy about brunch tough question no doubt uh honestly i'm not a breakfast guy it's just not my thing um whenever i eat breakfast i get super tired groggy it's heavy greasy foods that completely set you up for failure for the rest of the day however i'll still dabble in certain breakfast foods and then when you add the lunch component to the mix i'm 100 percent in on the brunch game at that point so At a brunch, the first thing I'm probably demanding is the hash brown casserole. Um, Huge fan. The best I've had. Plug for Cracker Barrel here. Um, It's phenomenal. Um, So if there's some other places that have amazing hash brown casserole, I'd love to know about it. Uh, Other favorites include chicken and waffles. Uh, I fell in love with that when I was living in the South. Pancakes, no doubt. Blueberry and chocolate chip. Save those basic pancakes for somebody else, please. Uh, French toast I like. Uh, grits, specifically cheesy grits. Uh, maybe number two after the hash brown casserole, probably biscuits and gravy. I'm a huge fan of that. And then always a chicken biscuit. You really can't go wrong with chicken biscuit. So that's an all-American lineup in my opinion. Now, it's a far cry from what we're used to having in terms of breakfast at hotels when we're on the road attending events across the country. Some of that can be attributed to our choice of hotels in the past, but nonetheless, we've seen our fair share of sketchy hotel breakfasts. The standard waffle maker that never works, similar to how McDonald's McFlurry machines are always out of order, quotations, at every single one across the country. Yeah, that's pretty believable. Uh, On a serious note, I do love McDonald's breakfast, though. The hash browns are elite. Uh, Let's see, what else? 
How about the diluted exotic fruit juices that you find at every hotel? Or the stale cereal? Although I always end up eating it still because of how hungry I am and softening it up a little bit with water. All right, I digress. Let's uh, talk a little bit about events here. Brian, you attended multiple basketball events this past weekend in the greater NYC area. Let's hear about uh, what you saw. Yeah, so before we jump into that, two things. One, you're forgetting Shamrock Shakes as a breakfast food at McDonald's. And two, I don't think it made it into the second podcast, but you did fat shame me once before, so I don't appreciate it a second time. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So do you think this is a proper time to bring up the story of our boy Dalmont in South Carolina in the Shamrock Shake? I mean, absolutely. It ties into like a football and basketball thing that we're going to talk about a little bit later. So go ahead. No, I need you. I need you to explain this situation because I love the way that you tell it. Yeah. So for those who aren't aware of who Dalmont Gordine is, he's a kid from Charleston, South Carolina, who's now playing football as a defensive tackle at UConn. Um, we've dealt with him over the years at various different basketball camps. And I always think about the time when he was in eighth grade and he was literally like screaming at one of our friends to get him a shamrock shake. I mean, here he was like this six, five kid at the time, just absolutely massive. And he could not be happier once he got this shamrock shake. And for me, like shamrock shakes are once March hits, like that's game time for me. And it ultimately does become a breakfast food pre-event for me. So we definitely bonded over that. So you can imagine me little like five, six, five, seven standing next to the six, five kid, just crushing shamrock shakes and ignoring everybody else who's telling us that this is absolutely horrible for our health. So basically what we're saying is ignore the Gatorade, bananas, health food in between games, whether you're at a camp or you're at an event, go straight for the Shamrock Shakes. Um, Brian, let's talk a little bit about the first event you attended. Yeah, so the first thing I hit was on Saturday. That was the Big North Shootout. Um, It had a really good mix of prep schools, some in-state schools, um, a couple schools from Canada, a couple schools from Pennsylvania, uh, but I really was going to focus more on the public school league teams from New York. Uh, you know, we everyone knows about Lincoln from like a Steph Marbury, uh, Sebastian Telfair standpoint. Uh, they look a little bit different than they used to back in the day. Uh, they escaped with a 62-61 over the number one ranked team in the Bronx, Eagle Academy. Uh, senior guard Deontay Spradley read, led the rail splitters to a big victory that should give them momentum. Um, But we're going to talk a little bit more about Lincoln later. The biggest game of the day, though, was First Love Christian Academy out of Pittsburgh, who took a tough loss to Blair Academy, which is Northern New Jersey program. Uh, Blair looks like they're the deepest they've been in years. They're loaded. Jabri Abdurrahim, a Virginia commit, and Sharif Zahn is currently out with a foot injury. He's wearing a boot, actually, so who knows when he's going to be back. But right now they're being led by junior point guard Jalen Blakes, who's coming off a USA Team USA appearance. Uh, big man, A.K. Akol the Gak, whose older brother plays at Miami, and junior guard or sophomore guard Kyle Cuff, and sophomore big man Luol Yang. Eric, I know you're familiar with a few of those guys. Do you want to kind of shed some light on each of them? Sure. So all of them, in one way or another, over the past two years, have attended our high school academy camps, whether it was last October or two Octobers ago. Jalen Blakes I had the chance to see most recently at USA Basketball. Always been a huge fan of his energy, his frame, and his rim-tacking qualities. 
The jumper has had me a little hesitant on him as far as his overall game. But from everything I'm seeing on social media over the past weekend, he really showed out in that department, which is great to hear. Now, as far as AK goes, he's one of those kids who just oozes potential. He's got the size and the ability level, not to mention a plethora of high major offers already. Now for him, it's more about putting the whole package together. I think that's going to come in due time this spring. He's, He's had a little bit more of a slow development just in terms of getting his body ready. I think he really has a chance to move on to some of the national top 100 uh, lists or so over these next six to nine months. Kyle Cuff Jr. is the son of former St. John standout Kyle Cuff. Not really a surprise here, but he already has an SJU, uh, SJU offer. He's a hyper-athletic 6'1 guard who is one of the fiercest competitors I've seen in that class to this point. The only thing that I think he enjoys more than competing is dunking, which is why he was caught multiple times in the same dunking station at High School Academy this past October. Yes, Kyle, we saw that. Now, on the losing side for first love, a few familiar faces who have donned High School Academy jerseys were point guard Isaiah Wilson, who's headed to Richmond, which I think is going to be a steal in the A-10, and Penn State-bound 6'5 wing DJ Gordon, who should have a stellar career in Happy Valley. As someone who lives in Penn State country and someone with a wife who went to Penn State and currently works for Penn State University, our household is happy to have DJ join the Nittany Lions family. I totally agree with DJ. Uh, he had a great weekend both there and at PSA Prep Showcase, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, I know Kaylee should be really excited about having DJ. But let's turn our attention to the last game that I saw at Big North, which was Our Savior Lutheran versus Toronto Basketball Academy. Um, we really need to start by talking with about Dylan Wusu. The St. John's commit has been great his senior year. He's really kind of surpassed Posh as the go-to guy on this team. Uh, a big guard at 6'3", super physical. I mean, he looks like a linebacker more than he looks like a basketball player. But he could really shoot the three, and that's been the big difference maker for him this season. Um, I mean, he had 17 in that game, and then Pitt commit Max and Madison had 15 and 10. And he's been a guy that's been a project for a majority of his high school career. Just So to see him kind of turn that corner and start producing is definitely a welcome sight for the Pitt Panthers. So that closed out Saturday, but not the weekend. Sunday was the PSA Prep Showcase, put on the PSA Cardinals. Eric, you had the chance to attend this event the first two years. Why don't you share some of your memories of it? Yeah, the PSA Showcase is a great event. Uh, Their organization does a phenomenal job, and it gets better every year. I was there in 2017 and 2018 when it was at the Hill School in Pottstown. Uh, Great venue, has like an old rustic look in the gym, Uh, very crowded. Once everybody got in there, it it was pretty much standing room only, so it really served as a great environment. In 2017, current Orlando Magic player Mo Bamba had a phenomenal performance. Uh, I believe Kentucky's John Calipari and Villanova's Jay Wright were in the building. And then following that up was Hamadou Diallo as the other headliner playing for Putnam Science Academy. And as you'd expect, his explosive athleticism was the main attraction, and he had fans entertained throughout. Now, the following year, it was all about Archbishop Malloy and the Cole Anthony show, and he didn't disappoint. He got anywhere he wanted to on the floor, showed his complete scoring arsenal, which obviously has carried over to the college ranks at North Carolina. Um, Obviously, Cole, you know, in the past day, we found out, has a torn meniscus. He's out for four to six weeks. So get well soon, Cole. Um, Why don't you talk a little bit about this year's edition of the event, Brian? Yeah, so talking about this year's edition, 
you mentioned that how the Hill School was cool because it had a little bit of a rustic feel to it. Now, Mount St. Michael, where they're holding it in the Bronx, um, completely different. The school is very old, and you can see that from the outside. But once you get into the gym, just a big-time atmosphere kind of hits you in the face. They've definitely refurbished the whole place. The seating is great, so even with a large crowd, you don't feel like you're overly cramped. There's plenty of room for the college coaches and for the media, and it just had the kind of feel that most events can't really strive to get, but never really get there for. So focusing on the, the encore action, I would say my biggest takeaway from the event has to be 2022 Wing Yon Farrell. Plays at West Nottingham Academy in Maryland and is, stands about six foot seven. He looks like a top 50 guy in this class. I know it's extremely early for them right now, but that's kind of the fun part about the sophomore year is that plenty of guys start to emerge and come out of nowhere. And Jan seems to be doing that. He went for 31 and 15 against a Husak program that had three guys that are probably stand about six, nine or taller. Uh, his motor really stood out. His defensive versatility was really impressive, but his number one attribute that I really came away being impressed with was his three point shooting. He went six from nine for three and kind of ended that game before it really started. Honestly, um, he went 10 for 14 from the field overall. So being efficient is something that is getting a lot more value put on it lately. And Jan looks like he's going to be an efficient scorer. Um, I've had one of our guys that we're familiar with, Ken Robinson, uh, refer to him as a young Terry Larrier with uh, more mass to him. And while I think we need to be a little bit careful about that because pre-injury Terry looked like an NBA player, uh, I do think Jans does have that kind of potential to him. Um, you know, we talked about Jalen Blakes already, but I think he's another guy who's making a case for to be a top 50 kid in his class. I mean, you said it yourself before, the biggest concern with him for everyone was really the jumper. And this weekend at both events, he was just lights out. I mean, he hit seven threes on Sunday. He's really stepped up with Jabri out. I mean, senior guard Michael O'Connell had 27 as well and hit six threes of his own. Uh, Michael O'Connell has an interesting story. He actually just transferred into Blair from lacrosse powerhouse Chaminade on Long Island. He was actually committed to Maryland as a midfielder as a 2020 recruit. Now he's seeing what's out there for him as a basketball player. He already holds an offer from Lehigh, and he looks like he's going to end up picking up a handful more offers after this weekend. He looks like a very clear all-conference caliber player at the low major level. So with a big senior year, we should see things pick up for him. But I think it's going to be interesting to see if this is really the choice that he's going to kind of stand firm on and, and go to potentially a lower level basketball-wise, or if ultimately he's going to end up reverting back to lacrosse and ending up at Maryland. That's such a cool story. Obviously, in this realm, we deal with a lot of very talented athletes, and we routinely come across kids who excel in multiple sports. However, I haven't really come across a ton of lacrosse stars since I've been in this business, which makes this a really unique story. I remember maybe the first guy I came across while working in this industry that was incredibly talented in multiple sports, throwback name here, Amir Garrett. So Amir was a kid who came on late in the basketball sector, but by the time he was heading into his senior season, he had multiple Ball is Life videos, which at the time, as you and I know, was a huge deal. Speaking of that, I'm trying to think, who were some of the other big mixtape 
companies that were around back in like the 2010 era that really aren't around right now. Like Yay Area's Finest was definitely one of those. Um, highlighting all those kids in like NorCal. I think it was Travis Ferris. He did the the Peewee and Kiwi Gardener. Yes, definitely the Gardeners. And then Aaron Gordon, his mixtapes were fire, I remember. Who were some of the other ones, Brian? Do you remember any of the other? Like Mars Reel, I uh, think, was one. Mars Reel was definitely one. Uh, the I can't remember the name of it, but Sherwin Cooper's up here in New England was always one. I'm honestly just blacked out right now because you brought up the gardeners and Pee Wee does, in fact, love the kids. So if you get that reference, you need to reach out to me immediately. If not, you guys need to go home and do your research on Pee Wee Gardner. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Amazing. OK, wait, let me go back into the Amir Garrett story. So I remember seeing him destroy people in Vegas and the buzz was really loud on him. He's super athletic, 6'6 wing. But people said he was actually a stud pitcher too. Like I think he threw something like 95 or 96 as a pitcher, as a teenager, which is obviously phenomenal. Uh, He ended up playing basketball at St. John's. But before enrolling, he was actually drafted by the Cincinnati Reds in the 2011 uh, MLB draft. And I think he signed for like a million dollars off the jump. But part of the deal was that he could continue his hoops career. So he played for St. John's for two seasons. And I think after his freshman year, he even played spring ball with the Arizona Reds. He eventually quit uh, playing basketball full-time and went right to baseball. And he's with the Reds, uh, the Cincinnati Reds. I don't know if he's part of the Reds rotation, but he definitely has pitched for them numerous times this year. And if the name sounds familiar to some of you who aren't big baseball followers, it's because he's the guy who charged the entire Pittsburgh Pirates team in an early uh, in an ugly bench clearing brawl. So I'm not joking. I think he actually charged like nine different Pirates and did not care at all. So I need you to look that (laughs) video up, Brian, as well as anyone who is listening to this, because it was pretty epic. Um, I think because of how much we're around these superiorly athletic kids, we take for granted just how special you have to be in order to play multiple sports at the collegiate level. So you take a look at a a kid like USC true freshman Drake London, uh, who just had a big year as a wideout, even though he was competing with a stud group of older guys on that USC Trojans team. And now he's going to transition right to the basketball court uh, as a 6'5 wing. Or even think about Florida State next year. You have 6'4 wideout and wing Malachi Weidman, who's more known as a dunking sensation on the hardwood, but is still obviously talented enough to play both sports for the Seminoles. Balancing multiple sports at a Power 5 school is insane, so it's cool to see guys who not only attempt it, but can succeed at it as well. Yeah, you mentioned Drake London. He was a guy that two years ago I think I couldn't shut up about just as far as how good he was as a basketball player. And for me, I think you already know this, but whenever anyone picks football over basketball, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit. So I had actually blocked Drake London out as a person that existed in my head. But uh, thank you for bringing that back up. But I do want to get us back on track a little bit. So let's go back and continue to talk about PSA showcase. Um, Westtown held on for a thrilling 73-72 victory led by five-star big man Frank Kempeng. Um, he backed his lofty status up with 18 and 13. And while Terrence Clark did lead Brewster with 21, it definitely wasn't his best outing. As far as guys who are, are getting ready to take a big jump on the national stage, Jalen Worley appears to be the next guy up. At six foot six, he played point guard for West Ham at, at different points during the game, but it's really his shooting that separates him from the rest of the members of his class. 
Um, he had a bit of a growth spurt. I think he was probably only 6'4 last year. So now he's a big guard who can shoot, who can create off the dribble, and has a lot of defensive versatility. He actually picked up an offer from Seton Hall shortly after, and then an offer from Oregon after that. So it seems like that kind of breakout is already starting to happen. Yeah, I really like Jalen's story, honestly. It's it's one that he's not a kid that has had a ton of fanfare as a middle schooler. He's just a kid who stayed the course, right? Like he's continued to play on the right teams in the right environments and continue to work on his craft. He's not a kid who's ever going to really blow you away with his athleticism or his quickness, but his skill set was always solid. We knew that he was on the cusp of something special after our 2018 high school academy camp because immediately after the camp, I tweeted, after summer growth spurt, place 2021 guard Jalen Worley at 6'3 plus. It looks like the West Town guard is ready to take his game to another level. A breakout performer at Maid Academy, he he showed impressive scoring ability and court vision. So I have no problem plugging myself right there because this definitely came true. Now, I didn't know that he was going to grow to 6'6", which takes things to a completely different level. But it definitely makes him that much more of an intriguing prospect. And as you've mentioned, he's already picked up those Oregon and Seton Hall offers. And as we know, once some of those high major uh, scholarship offer dominoes start to fall, you're going to see a lot more schools paying a ton of attention to him. So it's going to be fun to see how these next you know, several months in the high school season and then the grassroots season play out for him as well. For sure. Um, to be a little more self promoting I think you and I are both guys that kind of never really wavered on how we felt about Worley, despite some of the other Northeastern scouts maybe wavering a little bit about how talented he really was. Um, but now he's coming back around and proving us right, so thank you for that. Um, getting back to the action, our savior Lutheran was able to keep Huntington Prep at arm's length in the first half, and they took a 39-31 lead into the break. Ultimately, they basically played out to a draw. I think um, Huntington Prep ultimately outscored them by a point in the second half, so OSL was able to take home their second impressive win of the weekend. Uh, Dylan Wusu had 30 points and has quietly, honestly, been like a top-four senior in the state of New York that, honestly, even with the amount of guys that have left and transferred out over the years, still has eight high-major commitments in it. I've seen Dylan listed as, like, the 10th best senior in this class, and ultimately rankings are subjective, and it's not that important. But he's really being slept on in a national way, and I think he could be very, very good for St. John's and in a way that's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, outside of Wusu, though, they have two sophomores that we're both very familiar with in Abina Sadiku Ayo and Jaquan Sanders. Jaquan had 15, eight rebounds and eight assists, showing off his full arsenal. Um, as you know, he can really shoot it. He's a physical guard. He's tough as hell. And frankly, he's just kind of stuck behind two high major commits in, in Wusu and Posh Alexander. And as far as uh, Sadiku Ayo goes, he's a 6'7 combo forward who can really shoot the ball, can handle on the open floor, um, just got to OSL in the past year, and it and seems to be like a, a big secret in that 2022 class, but it, I think it's only a matter of time before he breaks out. I know you got the chance to see both of them at this year's high school academy camp. What did you see from those, from those guys in that weekend specifically, and where do you think these guys are going to ultimately end up? Like what level do you think they can play at? I'm going to start with Jaquan because he's one of those kids who has a different energy in the gym. He's always the most vocal kid on the floor, and that's always been him. 
I told him this at high school academy camp, and I don't think he found it as funny as I did, but I'll never forget, as a middle schooler with the New York Lightning, he was always this pudgy little kid with the loudest mouth. His team could be down 20, and it didn't matter. If he knocked down a shot, he was talking. It's who he is. Obviously, he spurted to 6'3 and is slimmed down, but two things haven't changed about Jaquan. One, his ability to shoot the basketball, and two, the chip he plays with every game. He's one of the streakiest shooters I've seen in recent years, but when he gets going, he's a lot of fun to watch. I saw Creighton and Hofstra both offered after the event this weekend, so he's another guy whose stock is trending in the right direction. I think he could end up as a high major in that class. Um, I think he has to continue to work on his ball skills and and finishing at the rim, but you're not going to find too many guys who can shoot the basketball like he does, and that's just the reality. As far as Sadiku, at high school camp, he was really impressive as well. You know, he was a lean 6'7". He was able to guard multiple spots on the court, showed that he was a quick leaper and score around the rim, and he even had some perimeter touch. His continued perimeter development is going to be a key for him going forward, but the fact of the matter is he's already got the size at 6'7". You know, he's already got some of those just measurables that the high major schools covet, and I think it's just going to come down to staying in the gym for him and, and continuing to be more aggressive and just fluid with the ball overall. Yeah, on the other end, uh, Brian Freeman was the one guy for Huntington Prep that looks like he's in line for a major junior campaign. He's playing point guard for them, but he's a guy that is more modern in the sense that he looks to score just as much, if not more, as he looks to distribute. It wasn't his best shooting night, but he still found a way to get to 26. Um, That might be the amount of people that he had in the cheering section, honestly, because there was no less than two dozen people holding up like little hand signs with like little cutouts of him on it, which given the fact that like he's a Virginia kid, the fact that that many people had traveled to New York to celebrate Brayon playing is pretty interesting to me. Um, that being said, it is inter- it is easy to see why programs like Old Miss, UConn, VCU, and Virginia Tech have all gotten involved, and he plans on taking visits to all of those officially in the spring. Now, there's plenty of time before he actually takes any of those visits, and plans always change, right? But if any of those schools actually get him on campus... They should be really excited because if somebody is really thinking about taking four visits the spring of their junior year, one would have to assume that they're trying to end this thing early recruitment-wise. So keep an eye out on Freeman as far as potentially being a spring recruitment and somebody starting off their 2021 class with a big-time scorer. Finally, St. Raymond's for Stepanak was an instant classic. After trailing for a majority of the game in the last 20 seconds, Stepanak pulled off the improbable win. Senior R.J. Davis got fouled on a game-tying three-point attempt and knocked down all the foul shots to tie the game and send it to overtime. That's where Stepanak took over. Davis finished with 41, 9 boards, 7 assists, while Duke commit A.J. Griffin finished with 29 and 17. Eric, I'm not sure the public knows this yet, so I'm going to get a little payback from Padwan here and out you as the UNC fan you are. How excited are you for R.J. at UNC, and how devastated are you with the way this season has started? (laughs) Uh, right now is probably not the time for me to admit that i'm a north carolina fan Uh, it's been a rough season in chapel hill but fortunately rj is part of a top three national class coming in next year and i'm really excited to have him he's always risen to the challenge throughout his career thus far and carolina is missing exactly what he brings to the table which are shooting and confidence 
I envision him playing a role similar to what Joel Berry did at North Carolina. And if he reaches that ceiling, I'd say he ended up having a fantastic college career. Now, on the flip side, I'm also just as devastated that A.J. Griffin is going to Duke because he's just such a star. And at this stage, I think he's as near a lock for the NBA and the lottery as you can be at, at his age. So little disappointed about that, but I am super excited to see RJ square off against him in college and to have a successful career in Carolina Blue. I'm not as excited for the whole RJ-AJ matchup talk because you know if AJ gets off to a big start for his freshman year, ESPN is going to be pushing that angle every single time they play. And we know that with our luck, they're going to end up playing in the conference tournament and who knows, they could even meet for a fourth time and Ugh, I just don't need that storyline in my life. Um, finally, we do have to talk about St. Ray's point guard Malachi Smith, the little brother of former Dayton guard Deshaun Scucci Smith. Mally looks like a future high major guard. At six foot, he plays with an intensity and IQ that few other guys in the class can really match. He's got a lightning quick first step, great vision, and has improved as a shooter over the past year. Schools were late to the party with Scucci. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but I was literally starting the hashtag with Sherwin Cooper, hashtag offer scooch. And finally Dayton answered that call. And we all know he had a great career there. Before we go, I want to shed a little light on what to me is the most interesting story in the New York city PSAL in quite some time. And that is the fact that Brooklyn collegiate is now sitting in first and they got there by beating South shore on Thursday night. Their senior class had never beaten South Shore before that night. Brooklyn Collegiate Senior Class got their first win over South Shore on Thursday night, and that's a big win, but it's a bigger win for head coach Malcolm Connor, who got his first win against the Vikings in six years. That's not home. That's not away. That's overall. They've never beaten South Shore before this. Uh, It's a talented senior group led by 5'7 point guard Majesty Johnson and a pair of 6'4 wings in Jalen Anderson and Amari Simpkins. Both those wings have had a major impact in this race as a whole, but they were the difference makers for Brooklyn Collegiate on Thursday. 5'7 guard Kareem Butler hit every big three. Anytime South Shore started coming back, he just seemed to find open space and knock down another. He had six on the night, and he led his teams with scoring with 24. He's averaging 10 points, so when you get 24 from a guy who's averaging 10, that's a huge, huge impact. South Shore, on the other hand, while they're still trying to mesh together because they do have a lot of transfers coming in, they're as big and athletic as anybody else in the state. Uh, On the perimeter, they go 6'5", 6'6", 6'5", and that's Zaire Wells, Marcus Burnett, and Ja'Kai Murray. Wells and Murray are both juniors and are going to have big-time careers for the next two years, well, Barnett transfers in from Thomas Jefferson, another PSAL school, and will likely end up doing a post-grad year. Um, but Marcus is a high-level scoring guard, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with his recruitment with that extra year. Um, also on Thursday night, Thomas Jefferson knocked off boys and girls to ruin their undefeated record. That's big because now... Uh, South Shore slips into second as opposed to boys and girls. So now we have this weird one-game separator between Jefferson, boys and girls, South Shore, and Brooklyn Collegiate. Remember when we brought up Lincoln before? I'm going to bring them up again. They're sitting at sixth. 
the rail splitters like have seemingly never sat at six before. And while they have missed a couple of games that are being postponed right now because of weather, uh, and they will get the chance to make those up later, they're still sitting at six. That's wild to me. Eric, I mentioned it before. This is not the Lincoln we grew up with. But as an out-of-state guy, what does that program mean to you as a whole? Yeah, so to me, Lincoln is always going to be about the story tradition. It's Stefan Marbury. It's Sebastian Telfer. It's Lance Stevenson. It's Isaiah Whitehead. Etc. One of my favorite basketball books of all time is called The Last Shot, and it's actually about Stefan Marbury and the hype surrounding him coming into his high school career at Lincoln, as well as what his hopes and dreams were going forward. Then you had Through the Fire, which was both a book and a movie about Sebastian Telfair and his wild senior year at Lincoln, both of which were phenomenal. And you had memorable clips of him running the beach and doing stairs in the New York-style high-rise apartment buildings before school. Just everything encompassing what NYC basketball toughness was and is about. I think non-New Yorkers, when they think of Lincoln High, they'll always think of Coney Island, famed NYC playground basketball, and star guards. I'm always going to be waiting on that next star to come through the Lincoln Halls. I'm not sure when it's going to be, but believe me, I'll be waiting for it. Now, so I'm a huge fan of basketball books. I probably own over 100, and I actually had to build two separate bookshelves last week to house them all. The Last Shot and Through the Fire are two of my favorite all-time. I could probably list 20 or 30 that make my all-time list. Do you have a few books that you'd recommend to Hoopheads, whether you're reading them now or you have read them in the past? Yeah, I'm reading Movies and Other Things by Shea Serrano right now, and that makes me think of his other book, Basketball and Other Things. Uh, I've yet to read it yet, but Shay is one of the more talented guys uh, I have read. And if you don't follow him on Twitter or you haven't read anything of him, he merges basketball culture and sport culture with pop culture in a way that few other guys seem to be able to do in a meaningful and funny way. Um, so I'm very excited about reading that. And then secondly, I always fall back on Toughness by Jay Billis. It's not really so much a basketball book as it is a book about life and kind of how to get through like the hard times and and just be able to take tools away but obviously the illustrator is a basketball guy and um, he does have to go to work so i actually own both of those books Uh, i am a bit of a basketball book hoarder as well i haven't gotten to them so i have a ton of them just sitting in my attic waiting to be read Uh, this weekend when you come for our uh, brunch meeting i could gladly pass you basketball and other things but since you hate reading and probably puppies as well uh, i don't know if i'm going to be able to make that deal happen that is slander sir that is slander don't you ever talk about puppies like that again okay now that we've gone completely off course the one last thing we do need to mention about this brooklyn double a race is that boys and girls will meet brooklyn collegiate as of recording tomorrow night that is december 19th that game will be for first place in the league uh Boys and Girls has a transfer from Nazareth, which was coached by Tiny Morton, who coached Isaiah Whitehead at Lincoln to tie all of this fun stuff together. The guard's name is Khalil Brantley. He's possibly the most slept junior guard in the city. So that is going to be an extremely interesting matchup. Absolutely is. And thank you for giving some great insight on those two events, as well as just the New York City basketball races in general. Thank you for tuning in to episode four of the Made Hoops podcast. Please make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow Made Hoops on social media platforms, Instagram and Twitter at Made Hoops. You can find me on social media at Eric underscore Hamford. Brian, where can the listeners find you on social? 
You can find me at BeeflinMade on Twitter and BeeflinHoops on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out our partner at Pure Hoops Media for their extensive storytelling, insight, and analysis in the world of basketball.